Welcome to Homegrown History with Limestone County Archivist Rebecca Davis and longtime Athens, Alabama native Richard Martin. Each episode, Richard and Rebecca bring to life some of the famous and infamous stories etched in Limestone County's rich history. Hello and welcome to another episode of Homegrown History, your Limestone County, Alabama history podcast. My name is Rebecca Davis. I am the archivist at the Limestone County Archives and I'm here with my co-host, I'm Richard Martin, the oldest one here. That's right. And today we're going to talk about something that is a national history event and uh, something that changed the lives of women across the country for the rest of U.S. history, I suppose, and how it connects to Limestone County history and to the people that Richard and I even know or knew. And that is the 19th Amendment. That's the one that was passed a hundred years ago, a hundred and well, almost 102 years ago, giving women the right to vote. And a couple years ago, obviously the whole nation celebrated the centennial. There was a lot of just reflection on um, suffrage, on what it took for women to gain the right to vote. And, um, of course, we're, we're a couple of years past, but that's okay. It's always a good time to celebrate people getting rights, isn't it, Richard? That's right. Everybody's <laughs> got to have rights. That's right. And so just to get a little nerdy for a minute, I feel like it's always good when people talk about amendments to actually look at what the words say. And so um, I, had, I had to look it up because I wanted to get it right. It says, The right of the citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state, which remember that part, or by any state okay. in and of itself, because that's going to come to play in our conversation, on account of sex. And um, it was passed, Congress passed the 19th Amendment on June the 4th, 1919, but it took until August 18th, which is my sister's birthday, by the way. Shout out to Rachel. Um, uh, August 18th, 1920, though, is the year that it was finally ratified by all of the states in a very dramatic fashion, which we'll get to, and women finally gained the right to vote in the 1920 election. So that's where we're going to start, but we want to dial it back a little bit and take a look at what it took to get to that point, because women had been lobbying and rallying for the right to vote, and men who were their allies um, for decades before that. And so you got to look at black men had gained the right to vote with the 15th Amendment, which was passed in 1870, and that gave people of the United States the right to vote regardless of race, color, or previous servitude. But like so many of the amendments before then, when it considered citizens of the United States, citizens just meant men. Even though women were considered citizens, they still were not afforded all the same rights as men were in most places. There are a few exceptions that we'll get to. And so um, I created a bit of a timeline of what it took for women to get the right to vote here in Limestone County and the rest of Alabama and the state. And it really started as far back as even before the Civil War. In 1848, a bunch of women held the first women's rights convention in Seneca Falls, New York. And that's where they first started, I don't know if I should say ganging up, (laughs) getting together with their sisters, sisters in arms, and just talking about what it would take to gain the right to vote and to have rights on par with men. 
But um, as of 1870, when the 15th Amendment passed, the country was still 50 years away from getting that right. And of course, by in 1848, even farther back. But there is an exception. With Wyoming, Wyoming was overpopulated by men. There weren't too many women out there. So Wyoming tends to be one of the states, tend to be one of the states that gave women more rights to vote, to hold land, to do all sorts of things, basically because men were trying to bribe women to come out there and marry them and have kids with them. (laughs) You do what you got to do when you got to get a good woman, right, right. Richard? That's right. So in 1869, actually, Wyoming was the first state to grant women the right to vote. And um, women in other states started taking notes. So by the 1890s, women's advocacy groups started being formed in Alabama. And what's interesting about that is right here in Athens, we had a real concentration of women who were interested in education and betterment and and gaining their rights to have the kind of life they wanted to have. And you know why that would be, Richard? Mm. What do we got right down there? Athens College. That's Athens College. Initially established as Athens Female Academy. And in the early, you know, through the 1800s and on into the 1900s, it was still just a female college. And so um, we'll post this picture whenever we put out the episode, when the episode comes out. But there's a great picture that is at the Athens College archives, and we've got a copy of the Limestone County archives, too of the Athens College suffragettes in 1912. They were lobbying for the vote in Athens, and this picture of the ladies holding up their sign is really cute. They're in their long gowns and their dresses, and they're very ladylike, but, you know, they want the right to vote. And 1912 was the same year that the Alabama Equal Suffrage Association was founded in Birmingham. So women were rallying for it here in Athens in Limestone County, by, you know, by 1912, but still it was seven years later that Congress passed the 19th Amendment and then sent it to the states to be ratified. The amendment could not become legal, part of the Constitution, until it's ratified. And September 22nd, 1919, Alabama voted on whether or not to ratify, and Alabama voted no. And so it went on to the rest of the states, and as the winter and the spring wore on, The votes were coming up and down. And finally, in August of 1920, it came down to the state of Tennessee. And I mean, it was neck and neck. And the way that anti-suffragists, the ones who were voting no, signified their vote was to wear red roses on their lapels. And so if you look back at the, if you think, you know, Fox and CNN are dramatic in their news coverage right, now. Right. Go back and look at some of the newspapers as as they were covering the vote of 1920, and they were in Nashville, and it was hot, and the men were fighting down on the floor, and the women were up in the balconies. You know, everybody's counting the roses to see how many votes, and it was neck and neck, and there was one vote. A freshman legislature. His name was Harry Byrne. Harry T. Byrne. And he was, um, he was waffling. He'd say, no, I'm not going to vote for the, for the ratification. And then somebody else would come to me, well, maybe I will vote yes. And he had pretty solidly, he was wearing his red rose. He had pretty well solidly decided no. And then he got a letter from his mama. His mama. And he, you, yeah, never underestimate the power of a good mama, right, That's Richard? Right. You had a good mama, didn't Amen. you? Amen. In fact, 
Well, we're going to come to yeah. some of the good women that were in Richard's family as we go on through this conversation. But his mama sent him a letter just saying, hope everything's going good there in the state capitol. Everything's fine down on the farm. We had a, you know, some of the chickens got sick, but they're all, well, I'm paraphrasing. But it was, it was very lighthearted how things are back home. And the very last line of her letter, she said, now you be a good boy and do the right thing. And he knew what his mama meant by that. And he changed his vote to yes, and Tennessee voted yes by one vote, and the amendment was ratified by one state, and women gained the right to vote. Amen. And the men of Tennessee who voted no were fit to be tied. And there was a whole group of 36 legislators. They came to Limestone County just to try to kill the quorum, just to try to kill the votes any way possible, even if it wasn't exactly legal. They were going to do what they could to keep it from passing. So these 36 Tennessee legislators, they were like, we're getting the heck out of Dodge. And they jumped on a train, L&N train, bound for Alabama, still had their red roses on their lapels to signify that they were anti-suffrage. And they were trying to prevent a quorum in the General Assembly so the vote could be rescinded on constitutional technicality. So they were making a run for the border. And they planned to take the train all the way down to Decatur and spend the night. But the first stop in Alabama is Limestone County. So when they got to Athens, they decided to put, make a pit stop. And um, by that time, the men of Athens had already decided to roll out the red carpet and the welcome wagon and throw a party for these anti-suffragists. So the Tennessee legislators got off the train at 2 p.m. at the... Athens Passenger Station, which is now the Limestone County Archives, and Colonel W.T. Sanders had gathered up all the men of the town to meet what they called the Hall's Red Rose Brigade, or as Limestone County Democrat editor Robert Henry Walker, remember that name, it'll come back, he called them the incorrigible exiles from the Tennessee capital. And so they had this long convoy of cars, which 1920, I'm sure it was a, bu- a bunch of Model T's and so on that came. It probably was a sight to see all the men of the town coming up to the train station to meet these Tennessee legislators and they said come on y'all we're going to the park so they drove out to O'Neill Park which isn't there anymore but that was a park that was out in West Limestone we got picture a few pictures of it at the archives and um, they had a watermelon feast. They had a foot race, is what the paper said. I'm trying to imagine what this must have looked like with these men in their three-piece suits and their roses on their lapels, having a foot race and so on, before they went back to Athens College. Athens College, of all places, is where they went back for their feast. And it said, a splendid dinner had been prepared for the gallant defenders of masculine privileges. Oh, in mercy. <laughs> and so there was, there was, you know, a lot of stump speeches and so on. And the Limestone Democrat reported on the whole thing. And it said that Mr. Hall, who was kind of the leader of the Tennessee legislators, he gave a very positive ideas as to the unconstitutionality of the suffrage amendment. And the next guy um, denounced a couple of senators as a disgrace to the volunteer state. And then they introduced Captain Jack Skidmore, who was a Confederate veteran. He made one of the most able political speeches 
ever heard in Athens. His views on the questions were nothing if not decided. The picturesque old hero of the war between the states said in no certain uncertain language, I fought to the last ditch in the 60s and I'm going to do the same now. And it says presenting some very convincing arguments against the amendment and couching his attacks in the most forceful language, he swept the table with his rapid fire heavy artillery and brought his audience to his feet. So it went through, you know, it says the banquet was a culinary triumph in every respect, and it is hoped that the legislators will again visit Athens before their stay of nine days duration in Alabama is ended. The visitors have annexed the unusual moniker of the Alabama branch of the Tennessee legislature. <laughs> I'm sure there was something besides watermelons. Yeah. <laughs> you think? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they were doing the watermelon crawl. Maybe that's what the foot races were. Well, probably, you know, Limestone County was still driving at the time. But, it had nothing to do with it. <laughs> but as we've discussed in previous episodes, Limestone County has never truly been dry. Right. Maybe on the books here and there, but never truly been dry. So also at this dinner, Charles W. Sarver, mayor at the time, he was just really, you know, welcoming the Tennesseans and saying, hey, we will shelter you anytime you want. So Charles Sarver, the mayor, Robert Henry Walker, the limestone Democrat editor, were both in attendance at this meeting. And remember those names because they're going to come back to haunt us. Okay, speaking of which, Sarver, he's the one that we've talked about haunts the old post office. So if you've never heard the episode of Homegrown Haunted History about Charles W. Sarver, take a listen because you'll learn more about Sarver and his ongoing presence, shall we put it that way. Okay, so... All that was going on. There was all this bluster and so on. But, newsflash, spoiler alert, it passed anyway. And regardless, legally, women had still gained the right to vote. And in October of 1920, the first female voters registered in Limestone County. In November, they voted in their first U.S. presidential election, elected Warren Harding president. He was a Republican And uh, Democrat James M. Cox was uh, elected governor. So that was in 1920. It was not until September 8th, 1953, that Alabama finally voted to ratify the 19th Amendment. That's how long it took for the state of Alabama to finally begrudgingly say... But the women still could vote. Oh, yeah, they could legally vote. It's just that symbolically, Alabama was just like, no. Until 1953. And by then, civil rights were in full swing. And, you know, I think that Alabama just finally begrudgingly said, fine, we'll ratify it. So that kind of gets. I had an uncle that was in the House of Representatives then. Did you? I'm sure he voted because his mama was a strong woman wanted to vote. What was his name? Wilbur Martin. We called him Doc Martin. Now, was he here in Limestone County or was he down in South Alabama? He was in Greens County. Below Tuscaloosa. Okay, so he probably he probably was one that voted yes back yeah, then. Yeah, I'm sure he did. <laughs> well, good. I'm yeah. glad he was one of the good ones. I, I think he was one of the good guys. Yeah. That's my opinion as a woman. Yeah. All right. So, and you know, now you know it's a woman's prerogative to change your mind, Richard. Right. Amen. <laughs> but I don't think I'm going to change my mind about voting. I'm proud to have that right, and oh, I'm proud of the yeah. women who, who made it happen. So, by October 7th, 1920, Robert Henry Walker had changed his tune a little bit about whether or not women really should be registering to vote. 
And in October, he ran an article saying, hey, registration is open soon. And, and of course, it's always a, a fun thing to tease women about their age and their weight. And so he said that the Board of Registrars is going to register the women voters and there will be something new under the sun, in this state at least. It will be a rather unique sight to witness the ladies as they go up and register and swear to their ages. <laughs> but um, Robert... His wife was named Memory Walker, and she ended up being one of the first ones to register. And Memory was, she was a McClellan. She was part of an old Limestone County prominent family. And I just can't help but think that after the article ran in the paper about the Tennesseans coming down and all this stuff, that he might have gone home to Memory going, Robert, really? Really? <laughs> like, don't you think maybe you should... Um, promote this thing because honey i'm gonna be one of the first ones to sign up tonight to register and sure enough we know a lot about who were the first ones to register to vote because at the limestone county archives we have the poll tax right poll tax books back then um you couldn't register unless you paid a poll tax and it was usually a dollar fifty which doesn't sound like much but just the other day, someone was researching at the Limestone County Archives, and they were looking back at the taxes that their ancestor had paid and the tax that he paid for the whole year for having two mules and six hogs and three cattle was only about $3. So a $1.50 was, you know, it was a pretty big price to pay. And so... Um, well, I paid it. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about that. You remember having to pay yeah, poll tax in 1960 when I first registered to vote. I had to pay a poll tax of a dollar and a half. That still was in there in the night. Yeah, 1961 or two something. Oh like yeah. That. And then they changed it in '64. Mm-hmm. Right with the passage of the Voting Rights Act, Voting Rights. it abolished the poll tax. But, but you know, we do have those old poll tax books at the Limestone County Archives, and they go back. So, of course, there was the first women's. It was separated by women's whenever yeah. the first women registered to vote. But on farther back, it was separated by race, too. They kept, and even in the women's, as we'll talk about here in a minute, yeah. if it was a woman of color who registered to vote, back then the term they used was colored. And so they put COL next to any black woman who registered to vote. Stick a pen in and that. they voted. Yeah, they did. And so... They had to register in time for the election in November. So by the middle of October, Walker in the Limestone Democrat was reminding women, hey, time is getting short. Therefore, it behooves every patriotic, home-loving woman to get busy and register. Because he said, if you don't, if you don't sign up during this one little two-week window of being able to register in time for the election, you're not going to be able to vote again until 1922 in a national election. And he said, nothing is more important just now than getting the women registered. Wide-awake women should inform themselves as to the movements of their board of registers and go to meet them without fail. And the commercial club was the one kind of registering women in the courthouse. They kept the courthouse open six days a week during those two weeks to to make sure that everybody who wanted to register could register. The very first woman to register to vote in Limestone County was Lucy A. Graham, and she was a clerk in probate judge George Malone's office. And um, she was the sister of the license inspector, so she was a real county employee through and through and she was the first one to go and by october 14th there were registration notices in the paper and so on 
The League of Women Voters was running ads. Everybody was telling everybody, come on and vote. And by October 28th, 698 women had registered to vote in two weeks. Wow. That was a big, big deal in a small, small town. That's a lot of votes. It is a lot of votes. And it it was enough that, especially as they all went to vote, they carried some real political sway, especially in local elections. So, election day rolled around. And uh, I'll just read you the editorial that ran in the paper. It's just a paragraph. And it said, Women vote in Athens. An unusual sight was witnessed Tuesday when the women of the town went to the polls alongside their husbands and cast their initial vote as political factors. The most extraordinary part of the whole day was the utmost congeniality between the married people as they went forward to cast their ballots. Anti-suffragists had pictured the home-wrecking dissension over politics, but the trouble never appeared. Whether the wives really are are democratic in their beliefs or under perfect control, no one knows. But Cox was the favorite in the female balloting here. Right. <laughs> was a great favorite. So of course Cox was the Democratic, Democratic. governor. And of course you gotta realize back then Limestone County voted Yellow Dog Democrat. Yellow Dog Democrat. You couldn't hardly get elected as a Republican in Limestone County. I'd have loved to be in there to see my grandfather, W.L. Martin was the chairman of the Democrat Party, and I can see he and his wife, Mamie, walking down and voting together. That would be something. Yeah, yeah. Did he ever talk to you just about voting or politics or anything like that? He was too old when I came along. Oh, was he? Yeah, 80s, almost 90. Oh, wow. Even older than you are now. Yeah. Thank God. (laughs) But uh, there was also one little blurb in the personals column that day. It was sandwiched between a, a note about Miss Florence Turrentine's appendicitis and the frost killing off the last of the late cotton. And it talks about how the women voting Tuesday was quite a novel sight to see. Amen. So that was, that was, you know, local coverage. I do want to shift gears now because that's what happened. You know, that's the history of how it came to be and how the women gained the right to vote and then took advantage of that and, and claimed their rights here in Limestone County. But I want to talk a little bit about who these women were because what you'll see is there were so many small town connections. People were either kin to each other or they worked together right. or they went to played, church together, went to church together played bridge club. together, yeah. study, you know, club. study club. Oh. And, and in one way, shape or form, I really do feel like that a lot of these women gained strength from each other right? and kind of maybe talked to each other and said, well, what do you think? Are you going to go register? I don't know. No, I well, yeah, I'm going to go register. <laughs> Are you? Well, I'll tell you what. If you go, I'll go. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of think that's what happened. Of course, the first one that registered was Lucy Graham. Right. And um, we have records at Limestone County Archives of so many of these women. Yeah, and it looked like my grandmother's Bridge club or study club all went at one time. Right. Instead of having bridge club, they all went down and registered to vote because they all in alphabetical, not alphabetical, they want to put it in order. Right, in and order. I noticed that. Mm-hmm. Well, and one thing that's so interesting to me when you look at the poll tax book, because like you said, you could see friends mm-hmm. all lined up together, but the one that's at the very top of the list is Sarah Frazier, right. and it says COL by her name. Right. So now Lucy may have been earlier yeah. to register, but... Sarah Frazier was one of the first ones to do it. And Sarah, to me, I don't have any pictures of her, but I think she must have been a really interesting person. And 
in her own way, very well connected because Sarah was married to John Fraser. Now, this she's an African American lady. Yes, she's a black lady, and her husband was John Fraser. Right. John's father was Otha Fraser. Otha Fraser. Otha Fraser was a freaking legend in in Limestone County. County. He was he was born in slavery, but gained his freedom before. Right. emancipation he was a master cobbler we still at the archives have his hunting knife that he made out of a deer antler mm-hmm. and um he was very close to the hobbs and frierson family in fact we have pictures of otha sitting on the front porch of the hobbs home which is where city hall is now right you know, just having a little conversation with Mac Frierson. Mac Frierson. I remember Mac mm-hmm. Frierson. He ended up being Judge Horton's stepson. Stepson. Because after his daddy died, um, Anna Hobbs right. Frierson married Judge Horton right. Jr. Right. Otha Frazier did some work for them and was close to their family. So Sarah was Anna Hobbs Frierson Horton yeah. was one of the first ladies to register to vote um, in Limestone County. And I just can't help but think, a lot of this is just I'm surmising, but right. I can't help but think this very prominent, very wealthy, very well-connected white woman right. encouraged this black woman yeah. who worked, maybe worked for them or so on, to vote as well. Yeah, let's go vote. Mm-hmm. And Otha, who was Sarah's father-in-law, he was one of the first black men to gain the right to vote. Right. He was one of the first black men to vote in Limestone County. Yeah. And, you know, just, it's almost like peer pressure. Right. You know, but it was encouraging people to do it. And, and I just think about it. it would have taken not only the courage for Sarah to walk into, you know, a courthouse full of white men in 1920. With cigars as, in the mouth. Yeah. And spit Yeah. And as a black woman to sign her name and pay her $1.50 poll tax. But, you know, it took courage, but I think it also took that community support. Right. Because nobody would have dared question Miss Anna. Miss Anna was highly respected in Limestone County, very well loved. In fact, I'm going to flip through. You may be hearing us shuffle some papers over the course of this because we've got notes. And I'm going to post some pictures of some of these women who voted, you know, so you get a sense of not only who they were, but even just what they look like. But Anna, you know, when she died, her obituary talked about how she was just so kind and and generous to all. And so, anyways, that's Sarah and Anna. Lucy, uh, a year after she registered to vote, she married a World War One veteran named Rip Lunsford. Ripley Malin Lunsford, but he went by Rip, didn't he? Yeah, didn't you Rip know Lunsford. him? Yeah. I knew so he him. ran a garage. Tell what you know about Well, Rip. he had a garage right next to the railroad track and uh, when I was a little boy I'd go in his shop back in and had an automobile shop back there and uh, when his wife died he remarried another lady who was a hygienist at D.J. Wilson's office and I'd take a pencil and black my teeth up so she'd clean my teeth because I thought she was so pretty. <laughs> But anyway, Mr. Lunsford, I knew him very well. <laughs> well, we've got a picture of um, the Lunsford's garage. And one thing I think, just as a little side note, is interesting. You can see in the picture, there's a big sign over on the side that says Ladies' Restroom. And I can't help but wonder if maybe Lucy made sure that Rip kept a place for the ladies to be comfortable when they were getting their cars worked on, too. Uh, I don't know. Once again, I'm surmising. But the picture is there. It, it's there. I guess the men went outside or on the railroad track. I don't know. <laughs> well, 
You know what? I think we'll just leave that there. <laughs> That's quite possible. <laughs> so um, another group of people who all went to vote together were the teachers of at Trinity School, the faculty of Trinity School. And we see them in the record as all having signed up on the same day. And you had white the white principal, who was Louise Allen, and then you had some black teachers like Annie Mitchell and um, Ella McKissick, and they all were teachers at Trinity School, which was the school that was established by the American Missionary Association 1865 to educate the recently freed slaves. And if you want to know more about Trinity School, we've got a two-parter that you can listen to that came out in 2022, so you can find out more about that. But they were, you know, Miss Allen was the principal at the time, and her whole mission and the way her perspective was that she was kind of a sculptor and she wasn't turning you know boys and girls into what she wanted them to be rather she was releasing the beauty as she said releasing the beauty of a carved angel from an unhewn rock and her way of trying to educate was to better students and teach them how to better themselves she says um It's with exceeding great joy that we hack away day after day at the stony prison of sin and ignorance and watch the lines of beauty appear one by one until a lovely character steps forth or a remarkable intellect. And, you know, she, one thing I think is interesting about the women who voted, we don't have records in the archives of women getting arrested for disrupting the peace or marching up and down the streets of Athens in a picket line or, you know, anything like that. Women here did not have some loud, boisterous, destructive rally or whatever, you know. It was more of just a quiet, all right, we're going to go together kindly and as friends and we're going to claim our rights. And that's what you see with so many of these women. And I think that, especially with the Trinity folks, the white teachers and faculty were kind of shunned by a lot of the white community because right. because they dared to teach right. black people. And so they kind of banded together. You know, Trinity was down, um, but it's between Washington Street and Browns Ferry Street, less than a mile from the courthouse. And I picture them all either jumping into a horse and wagon or just walking together to town, as you would say, to the courthouse and registering to vote. One thing I think is really kind of full circle, interesting and poetic about Trinity is that the last school building they had there is still standing. And after it was renovated and reopened in 2015 as the Pincham Lincoln Center, one of the first things that the Trinity, and Richard's on the Trinity yeah, board. He's yeah. the vice president. We, I used to be yeah. on the board, too. Yeah. One of the first things that the board did was work together with the probate judge to establish Trinity School as a voting precinct. Right. And, or the Pincham Lincoln Center. And right. now... People from the neighborhood can just go right there to vote. You know, it's convenient for them. It's accessible. And so it's still that that history is still being played for to the present, isn't it, Richard? That's right. That's something that the board really worked on trying to, to carry that forward, didn't they? Yes, we did. So you've got, of course, Ella McKissick was another one. She was an interesting person that was born into slavery. Both of her parents died. 
Her owner ended up moving her from Mississippi to Alabama, and, you know, she really was a very independent person, too. She was one of the first ones to register. You've got the Bailey sisters, uh, Virginia, Zoe, and Nona Bell. They all registered together. They were some independent ladies. Um, They all kind of lived together, and, and you could just see over the course of the historic record that when Nona was only, I think, 16, 17 years old, she petitioned for majority to no longer be considered a legal minor, and she was granted that, and so she was granted majority at age like 16 or 17 as a a legal adult, and 10 years after they all got together to vote, all three of these sisters got together to sue a man who had taken some things from, I just think these little details are fun, they successfully sued to get back a black mule named John, a bay horse named Tom, a Jersey cow named Jersey. Jersey, of course, another Jersey cow named Jersey, and a Jersey heifer, two wagons, a plow, and a bunch of farming tools. This man really must have taken these sisters for a ride and uh, and thought he was going to get away with it, and he didn't. But these ladies all registered to vote together. Do you remember the Miller um, Ice and Lumber Company? No, I don't. I don't even know where it was. I believe it was um, at the corner of um, Washington Street and Houston Street down there. That's empty now. It's down by the creek. and Because they use that creek water to help yeah. them run everything. Oh. And um, the Millers ran this Ice and Lumber Company for years which seems like kind of an odd combination, but I guess it all goes together. And um, they had come in from up north. There were a lot of people who came in from up north in the early 1900s who came down to Limestone County as um, L&N expanded into the county. And so by 1920, you had a lot of people from Ohio, Indiana. Um, There were a lot of Germans, a lot of people of German descent who had just come over. A lot of them were first-generation Um, American citizens. And so I kind of feel like the Millers and a lot of these other folks brought some of these different ideas, you know, from from north of the Mason-Dixon line and maybe a little bit more progressive. I don't know. Um, But those were some of the ones. And the Millers were very well connected. We have pictures of the tacky parties they would have, and they'd have people from, you know, all over the city would come and they would have parties. And, you know, you know what women do? We like to talk. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And then you got like the Rosenals. So the Rosenals, they were, so at one time, this might make a good podcast for another time, about how many Jewish-owned businesses there used to be in Athens. Yes. There were so many on the square, and right. it was just this blip across the South where for about 10 to 15 years, there were a lot of Jewish families who established themselves as merchants in small towns all over the South. And then after about 20 years, a lot of them moved away again. But the Rosenhals were one of those families. And um, let's see, Max and Dave and their wives, they registered to vote. And Ida Flood, who worked for them, she registered to vote. So you kind of feel like maybe they all were together. And then, of course, you've got... Charles Sarver, the the mayor, and his brother Joe, well, their wives, Lavella and Blanche, were both some of the first ones to vote, despite the fact that Charles had said, y'all come anytime to the anti-suffragists. And then you've got the Stone Streets. You knew them, didn't you? Yeah, I knew the Stone Street through uh, R.B. Nichols. Which one was, who, who married the Nichols? Which Stone Street uh, sister? Uh, the, Is it, there's, you got Josephine, Coralie, and Emma. And their mama, Mary. Yeah. So Josephine, Coralie, and Emma were all sisters. Josephine married to Easter. 
mm-hmm. Easter. That's right. And Miss Easter, I'd go get buttermilk from her. Oh, did you? When I was a little boy. <laughs> well, the Stone Streets, so their daddy, R.B. Stone Street, yeah. he worked at the Lime Cola Bottling Plant Right, he downtown. started, yeah. And yeah. then it ended up at Dr. Pepper. Yes, and that's right. Chris. And that was over on Marion Street. That's right. And um, so R.B., his wife, and his three girls all went together to register. Yeah. And um, those girls were all real close. In fact, let's see, Josephine and Cora Lee, actually, not only did they live together and vote together, they died together. Yeah. Because in 1977, they were going to get some... Peaches at Isom's. That's right. And they um, pulled out on Highway 72 and got hit by a truck. It's kind of a sad note. But anyways, they were together all those years. Um, You've got mothers and wives and teachers and and daughters and so on. And um, I think that gets about to some of the people that we knew, um, except for two, two different people. One, you mentioned Bessie Smith. Yes. She was one of the first. Bessie and Bonnie, who were sisters. You knew Bessie, didn't you? She was my math teacher at Athens Junior High School. She was a very good teacher, and she was no nonsense. Oh, yeah? And if you didn't behave, you'd get a whipping. <laughs> Not by her, but by the principal. <laughs> but she was a good math teacher. Yeah. I bet you put her through her paces, didn't you, Richard? No, she put me. <laughs> Okay. Well, and then you've got Memory. As I okay. mentioned, Memory Walker, she went with some of her, you know, friends to register, and her husband was the editor of the Limestone Democrat, and right. maybe she was a little bit of a silent editor. But the last ones I want to look at are these Martin ladies. Uh, what do you know about these Martin ladies, Richard? Well, that, like I said, that's my grandmother, Mamie Chandler Martin, and uh, she went to register. Like I said, her fa- her husband was chairman of the Democrat Party, but there's my Aunt Nana, Aunt Nana. Mm-hmm. And she was a heel, but she married my Uncle Tom. And then my other grandmother, Della Kaufman Martin, she married my grandfather, Richard. And then Della's uh, daughter, Mary, went to rescue, but Macca, my Aunt Macca was with uh, Mamie Chandler. She was the daughter of Mamie Chandler. And then Gladys there. But they all went and rested at the same time. And you could see that. And I was extremely proud of that, that those women, yes, sir, we're going to vote. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So these were, this was your grandmothers Grandmother, and your aunts. Great aunts and, and two grandmothers, great aunts and and aunts. Mm-hmm. And so they all kind of just banded together and the whole Martin crew just went, down went up there. there. Went down you there. reckon maybe your grandpa might have encouraged them to I go up there and so, register? Sure, you know. Maybe he said, we need all the Democrat voters right. we can get. That's right. <laughs> Even if they do wear dresses. Right. He was, <laughs> he, he's a big Democrat. Yeah. What do you remember about these ladies? Um, just in general, well, you know. I don't remember Mamie Chandler. She died before I was born. But Aunt Nana which she was a sister-in-law to Mamie. I remember her, and she was a very sweet lady. And then I remember my other grandmother, Della, real well. She was a great cook. And then my Aunt Micah there, she saved me when I was raising my children. She had helped me take care of my children after school some. So mm-hmm. just beautiful people, just mm-hmm. beautiful people. Mm-hmm. So, Richard, just to kind of wrap it up, because I think, I, I think we've got to all the ladies that we want to talk about. Do you... 
especially looking at how the women in your family all took the initiative to register, and then I'm sure all took the initiative to go vote. Right. Do you remember growing up, you know, any talks about voting or how important it might have been? Was that anything that was no, it, impressed well, on you? No, it wasn't, but every, I know my mother and dad and all of us would vote. If you don't vote, you can't fuss. <laughs> That's right. So if you ain't going to vote, just keep your mouth shut. But if you don't vote, that's a shame on you if you don't vote. Shame, shame, shame. Yeah. But we got to vote, folks. We got to vote. Well, and I know when you look at the numbers and you see, you know, especially we pay so much attention to the national elections and where one vote really doesn't seem like it makes a difference. But a lot of times what we don't tend to pay as close attention to are the local elections, your city councils, your county commissioners, you know, your revenue commissioner, your license, all of these that, believe it or not, you would be amazed how many elections in Limestone County have come down to a handful of votes or one vote. I think one of the mayors, right, Mushy Mm -hmm. Nichols, I think he won by one vote. That's right. Well, Athens became county seat by one One vote. vote. You know, so it counts. It does count, and it's worth it. And and these are the people who I guess I am stepping on a soapbox for just a moment. But these are the people who are the ones who make the decisions that really most directly affect your life. That's right. You, you don't like how much you pay in school tax. Right. I mean, these are the people that make those decisions. You don't. You want your road paved or not? Right. These are the people That's who right. make the decisions, and so it really does matter. And. Uh, when you look at Limestone County's elected people, by and large, um, local elected people, they're by and large men as well. That's right. It's, there's never been a female mayor. Now, we've had a few women who have run for mayor. I think Mignon Bowers gave um, Mayor Dan a pretty good run for his money back I in the day. I forgot about that, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. We've had city council ones. We've had some, but there's never been a female no. uh, county commissioner and um, well, or county commission chairman. And, you know, there's it's still predominantly men. But, you know, if you don't vote and if you don't run, you can't really complain. That's right. That right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that kind of gets us to how women got the right to vote here in Limestone County. Anything else you think you want to add to That's that, it. Richard? Just go out and vote. Go out and vote. That's a, if, And if you can't vote, you can't even say nothing, That's right? That's right. Can't be. Can't vote. <laughs> All right. Well, we sure appreciate y'all taking a listen to another episode of Homegrown History. Make sure you subscribe on your podcast wherever you're listening to us. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. If you don't like it, shoot us a message. That's right. All right. <laughs> if you do like it, give us five stars. Anyways, we appreciate y'all listening. Tune in next month for another episode of Homegrown History. You've been listening to Homegrown History, presented by the Athens-Limestone County Public Library and the Limestone County Archives in Athens, Alabama. For more information and to submit questions or suggestions, please visit limestonearchives.com. And to hear other recordings, check out our website at alcpl.org. You can also listen on Spotify and Apple Podcasts.